Welcome to Mind Rolling. I'm Raghu Marcus. And I'm David Silver. Hello, everybody, again. And uh, today we have uh, somebody we've been looking to talk to for quite some time, and we've talked about it, and finally we've, we've nailed him, and he's uh, ready and willing to go. He is so many things to us. It's hard to really, really count them all. He's, um, he's family. He's blood. He's friend. He's satsang. He's co-worker. He's co-creator. I mean, literally. Is that, and for both of us, not yeah. just me, although, you know, he and I have done a lot of stuff. Let's, uh, the suspense is over. It's Mr. Shiva Baum. And <laughs> <laughs> Shiva's in L.A., talking to us from L.A. And uh, Shiva goes way back with uh, me in the music business and David as well. And uh, we've done a ton of stuff together, you know, all the way from working with Krishnas with Rick Rubin uh, to, uh, to uh, and, w- and we've done stuff uh, around in the beginning. It was uh, world music and he was working with Triloka. And then often he was working with pop labels. He was, I mean, he's done everything, A&R, he's done radio. He has quite an understanding of the workings of the business. And, and the miracle is he's still in it. It's unbelievable. He's managed to hang in there because it's a very tough business. And he's got a, he's got a couple of artists that he's working with that uh, are just terrific. In fact, Shiva David just told me about uh, this band you've been working with. He loved it, which I haven't heard because you don't send me anything. Faulkner, they're called. A great name, too. Faulkner. I mean, that's better than dead ants on my ass. Uh, you know, Way I mean, better. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the kind of name you hear these days. Welcome, Shiva. Thank you. Hello, fellow mind rollers out there listening. I am I am one amongst many, and and believe me, so so beyond honored to be here and uh, holding space together with uh, the two key and most influential mentors and guides in my entire life, uh, Ragu and David. These these are my uh, these are the lights in my lighthouse, and uh, I'm just so touched to be here. Okay, lights in the lighthouse. This is not how we uh, self-describe anything around us. Lights in the lighthouse. That's a blind, outhouse, that's maybe. A, lights yeah, in right. the <laughs> but it's a great well, that, that, blind Willie Johnson that's why song. I get to, yeah. That's why I get to describe it. You guys would never say that about yourselves, but I get to say it right now. So uh, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sweet. Thank All you. right. Well, listen. I'm going to start off with something um, uh, that's, uh, well, actually, David, I just want you just describe a little bit of, of your relationship uh, with Shiva and just, you know, meeting. When did you first meet? I met Shiva when he was born, basically, um, and shortly afterwards, and was very friendly with him on a peer level when he was from about the age of six. My daughter is the same age, and they played together, and um, I found out to my uh, wonderful surprise that it was possible to have a conversation with this human being who was, you know, very small and young uh, about um, everything. But particularly cultural matters, movies and music. He had, and this is the absolute truth, the earliest that I've come into contact with so far in this life, the youngest person to be able to appreciate um, adult culture, art, but particularly music and movies. His mother and father are also very astute about this, but Shiva was six 
And remember, Shiva, when we used to, and I was, you know, I was old by then, um, and we used to have those conversations. So that was amazing. You were old by then. Yeah, right. And uh, you remember those, Shiva? Very well. Like, like I said uh, in the beginning, the, the, the why, why I gave the introduction or my perspective about Raghu and, and David here is, is you, you both were the, uh, the only adults who would talk to me as an adult uh, when I was very small, very young and developing. And it was clear uh, to all of us that I had some sort of uh, very authentic, powerful, mature connection with, with the arts and in particularly uh, music and film. And I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. My mother was was a key in, influential uh, person in my life in that her and my father provided me just an incredible record collection and would encourage me to dive into the the, the music and, and the art. But uh, the people I could only talk to about it in depth were, were you, David, and, and Raghu. And, and that's why you guys mean the world to me and, and, and have... have changed my life because of that and I get to kind of have whatever life I have today in the business because of the key development process I went through and you guys would uh, patiently uh, walk me through it and so yes David I remember our conversations very well <laughs> back then all right well I'm going to hey David David I've, I've before you get into Raga David I have a question for you do you remember going on a shopping spree to Brad's Records in the Bronx and picking up hundreds of dollars of original Marley records and Lee Scratch Perry records and all the reggae classics on vinyl in the late 70s. And, I absolutely do know, remember that because yeah. Brad's is not, it's a, one of those incredible record shops that's uh, devoted to one type of music, reggae music and dancehall music. And it was kind of a real journey that going to them. So we, that's the kind of things we, we did together, as well as being you know involved in, uh, in consciousness um, and uh, devotion and all those other matters. And one of the reasons, and raga has got something to add, but I'd quickly say that one of the reasons that she was on this is he's like us, he, he's into that, but hugely, but uh, it still isn't incompatible with being part of the ongoing culture and uh, loving it and appreciating it and somewhat moving it forward sometimes. Anyway, Raga, you go on. So uh, what, when I was six years old, I was listening to original Marley on vinyl. Of course, there was no other children that I grew up with who had this kind of cultural experience that I, I had met. So it was, uh, that's just an example of the, 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 the great things I got to grow up with because of David and, and, and Raghu. Anyway, take it away, Raghu. I just wanted to throw that in there, David, before we got into it. <laughs> okay. Well, since we're talking about music, and, and really that's been you know a tremendous connector in our friendship, well, with David and I, starting right there, and then, of course, in this case, with Shiva. And so uh, I am uh, there. There was one thing in particular that uh, I was so inspired by at the time, and I well, I'm still inspired by. And it was something I really wanted to share with with uh, Shiva and and uh, actually my son was born the day after him, so they're like they've been you know together since birth, kind of a deal. And I wanted to share this thing with them, but in particularly, Shiva is so passionate about music. It just fit our passion, you know, and it's something we've been doing all our lives uh, for the greater part of our lives. So I'm not even going to tell you, I, and it's my inspiration, okay? And it was right around this time that uh, this particular incident happened, and here is this. 
Well, that's got me. I was um, at Madison Square Garden on top of my chair and over and over, night after night, <laughs> we were there with Bruce. So I, you know, the, and Shiva was so passionate, so I had to get him to Bruce. So how old were you when you went? It was, I don't think you were more than 10, uh, 12, yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. It was. Um Ah, uh, right. I was 12 years old. It was the Born in the USA tour. So we're talking about, I think, 80, ni- 1986, six, yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. So here's the story. Here's the story. I was so crazed about Bruce, right? <laughs> I I don't know what I did to Yeshiva, but I just filled you up with the, 
that this was the transcendent, re- transcendent return of Jesus in music, okay? And, and you just, and, and you, I, you know, the music, you ate it up and you were just like fired up that this, and, and so when I said, well, we're going to go to the concert, and you were like, I can't believe this. I'm going to get to see. I mean, you can't imagine. I mean, Shiva is just absolutely passionate. You're going to get that as we go along here. And so he came there with this passion times a billion, okay, to this concert. And the concert goes on. And, it's you know, there's a few of us, his mom, you know, me, <clears throat> my son, and he, and and a few other people. So my ex-wife included um about i would say three songs in you know we were all people were just standing up and there's a huge rush you know of this collective heart that he creates i mean just an amazing uh sudden it was like people coming together like it had all taken drugs and were like glued together all of a sudden i mean it was just it's insane of course everybody who's gone to see brucey all know that but then I looked, he was like two people away from me. And I turned around and I looked at him. And he was, um, he had his head in his hands and he was absolutely bawling, crying his eyes out. I'm like, holy shit, what happened? Everyone is like going to heaven, <laughs> he's going to hell. How could this? And what happened? We had pumped him up. That not even with so much a, a, a passion, adrenaline about what this experience was going to be, that not even God Himself come down as Springsteen could ever have fulfilled this, and He was actually let down, and they He had to go out during the intermission, regroup, and then come back in and got completely in the flow after He had let go of all that stuff, even at whatever He was ten, twelve. Do you remember this? Yeah. I remember, my God. I mean, first of all, we're we're talking about the most important music in my entire life. People ask me, you know, if you can only listen to one artist for the rest of your life, or who's your favorite, or or who means the most to you, or who's the biggest influence. Any kind of questioning around that, it, it leads. It's a very quick answer for me, and and I say I worship at the Church of Springsteen, and uh, my my lifelong love affair with Bruce Springsteen um, began when my mother recorded a broadcast concert in 1978 uh, WNEW which probably one of the greatest classic rock and roll stations to ever air 102.7 in New York and uh, they brought they did a simulcast of Bruce Springsteen live at the Winterland Ballroom Bill Graham's uh, venue in San Francisco in 1978. It was around the Christmas season, and Bruce just had it. And for any Bruce, uh, Bruceaholics listening, uh, if you don't know the show, most do, but please look up that bootleg. It's, it's pretty accessible online. It's a very, very famous uh, and cherished Springsteen concert. And he just had it, and he told stories, and he sung Santa Claus is coming to town. So my mother used to drive uh, all around and play that cassette recording that she made off the boombox and it was the soundtrack to my formative years so four five six seven eight years old i just listened to that i know it by heart and by the time born in the usa came around uh we're talking uh, the tour was 1985 uh 84 85 maybe even to 86 anyway the concert you're referring to ragu was uh at the meadowlands uh in new jersey 
which is now, uh, I don't even know what corporate name they've renamed it, but, but it'll always be the Meadowlands. It'll always be the Brendan Byrne Arena to those of us back in the day. And it, Springsteen, I think, sold out an ungodly amount of shows, probably 20 concerts he had sold out. And we were very late in the run. This was the end of his tour, basically. And uh, I had, as you said, been so built up from just years of Springsteen. This was my first concert in person, seeing him. But I've been listening to his live recordings and his albums for years. And, and of course, Darkness on the Edge of Town that you played in the beginning, I, I could, you know, quote the, the lyrics to you. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's religion. So it, it means that much for me. And I get very emotional hearing Darkness on the Edge of Town, as I know you do, Raghu and David. And David, of course, has incredible Springsteen stories, which I hope will reveal some or at least one. But uh, yeah, so I was a uh, emotional little kid seeing Springsteen years of being built up in my own head and of course through Ragu and uh, I went and 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 Christ himself couldn't have uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 made made a, an impression on me my, my expectations were way too high and we were sitting kind of far away for from my memory uh, as a kid although probably now I would have thought there were great seats oh but, no but they were right then, on the side stage left okay, yeah I can okay. see him from stage <laughs> left that concert yep so I went and I, and I, and what I feel bad about now is I bummed out, you know, I was the one kid with a bunch of adults and, uh, I was the, uh, I was the third wheel, man. I really bummed everyone out. I threw a real fit and a bratty tantrum and, uh, God knows what I was processing karmically. Uh, obviously the Bruce, the Bruce juice got into me and I released a whole, uh, plethora of emotions and, uh, you know, God knows what happened, but but I must have been such a bummer. So I, I want to thank you for forgiving me and continuing to love me even after ruining the first half of a Springsteen concert uh, <laughs> and in a victory lap. So thank you, Raghu. <laughs> uh, taken, well taken. Um, so uh, just uh, at a lot of what we talk about, we've been talking about on Mind Rolling, um, is... Uh, is really the connection between, you know, I don't think there's anyone I know who better knows, uh, without having been there, the feel of the late 60s, early 70s, not just the music, which, you know, you are a huge, uh, not just fan of, but uh, very knowledgeable about, but also the transition that we went to, the transformation that we went, inner transformation that we went through at that time. And we've always, uh, through these uh, podcasts, linked that time with this time. Just talk to us and, and tell us what you, what you think of what are the comparisons? You know, are they real between what was going on then uh, and what's going on now and the an emergence of, you know, at least creative awareness? Wow. There's a song by Paul Simon that he wrote in his later years off the Rhythm of the Saints album, which was his follow-up to Graceland. And it's a very underrated album because it came after Graceland, which arguably the most important solo Paul Simon album ever made. Certainly one of the most affecting and influential and best-selling still to this day. Uh, but the album follows called Rhythm of the Saints, and there's a song on that called Born at the Right Time. And I always resonated with that song because although for many years I had fantasized what it would have been like for me to be born when you and David were born and to be uh, you know, an active participant of the 60s and 70s 
culture. I was born in 1974. My parents had gone to India with uh, Ram Das and lived for uh, at least a year if, or, or more with um, in India with uh, Neem Karoli Baba and spending uh, time there uh, having that Leela, which you guys have went into extensively your experiences with uh, in previous podcasts. But I was born a few years after Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji had left his body. My parents were back in America uh, figuring out what life would be like uh, and having to kind of get it together and you know, get jobs and uh, be a part of Western society again. And uh, it was very strange growing up in that time period. Of course, America, you look what was going on from 1974 to 1980 in America, it was a very uh, dark, sobering time and very confusing time. And the music that came out of that time, that transition from the 60s to the 70s into the 80s, is so profound uh, and says so much. So you have music like Darkness on the Edge of Town and Born to Run, and really the, the record I think that summed it all up for me from Springsteen was The River, which came out in 1980, and it was the real transition point between the 70s and the 80s. But for me also growing up, I think my first awakening into music as a path of consciousness was Sugar Mountain by Neil Young off his album Live Rust. And I believe it's track one. And I encourage everyone to familiarize, re-familiarize themselves with that song or listen to it for the first time, that version in particular. And it's just Neil Young's solo acoustic playing to an arena full of people. And it's about, it's about the predicament of growing up. And, and losing the innocence, and and that was the 70s. Uh, and the 60s, so I was, from, from 1974 to, to, to 1980, by 1980 I was six. So being a very, very small child and, and getting to dream to the music of uh, the best of the 60s, which for me was the Beatles, um, I was more of a Stones fan coming into my teenage years, but, but I was really into just the 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 majesty and the magic of, of the best of the 60s and then really this powerful consciousness transition that I experienced going from the 70s into the 80s. And so what, what I experienced happening was, you know, what I just described from the 70s, but then in the 80s came groups like The Police and U2 and Peter Gabriel, which then for me was was a link into my my ancestry, if you will, or lineage from, from the Eastern culture uh, in India and in particularly Kirtan. And, and my earliest memories of that music was, was Krishnas before he made albums and, and then Jai Tal And uh, that album that came out in the late 80s, Beggars and Saints on Triloka, uh, was a real, the link from, the leap from, from Peter Gabriel into uh, bringing, it, bringing India back to America through through Jai Tal, uh, through through sacred mantra music, also known as Kirtan. And then what happened in the ninth really fascinating with, with groups like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and um, and and then from that to Karma Police with, with Radiohead and OK Computer, Dave Matthews band. Uh, there was such a I mean we could go on and on about it of course, but but looking back on it now in this conversation, it's really mind-blowing to just briefly touch on it and trace it and to see how 
this divine consciousness was really active in popular music. And my understanding of it was that it something happened uh, when the year 2000 uh, hit, and it was like almost for me that Springsteen concert where the the hype couldn't be lived up to that first that first Springsteen concert and that story you told, and 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 I, I feel like for popular culture, when the year 2000 hit, we almost didn't know what to do with ourselves as 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 a humanity, and then September 11th happened, 2001. And the world was just silenced and the artists didn't know how to respond. And I feel like now we are beginning to figure it out again. And you're starting to see in the last couple of years with the popularity of an artist, a pop artist like Adele and a pop song uh, like Gautier's Somebody That I Used to Know, which was the number one most played song of last year. It was the record of 2012. You're starting to see some sort of powerful uh reemergence of of this let's just call it divine presence in popular music and and last but not least of course the modern popularization of of sacred mantra music really uh, literally with 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 the kirtan movement so it's a very uh exciting time to to be appreciating the arts and the culture and and who knows where it is going but to answer your question hopefully i have um is 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 there something going on uh, for the the current generation who who didn't get to to grow up uh, back when the Renaissance began, I, I think for sure it's there. Uh, some people can identify it. Millions don't even know what it is, but they're feeling it and they're responding to it. I'm very very excited uh, in anticipation about where it's going because nobody knows, mm. but it's going somewhere. Mm. We, we've we been talking to people the last few days uh, a, a lot about uh, one particular focus around, uh, you know, what's going on in the world relative to the extreme suffering, uh, environmental suffering, economic suffering, and um, talking about, you know, the, the polarization uh, of, of the uh, powers that be through governments and so on, and especially this, this of course, in the United States, and uh, and talking about how to, um, you know, how to live through this without uh, just being caught in anger and so on and so forth, and yet still take um, action. And you see, if, and David's talked about how the social media, of course, allows us to gang together in ways to protest things, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But there seems to be, a, uh, how do you feel about your own inner polarization when you are just, you, you see things and you hear things from politicians or otherwise, which are um, so apparently, quote unquote, ignorant, um, you know, taking away, for instance, um, uh, you know, social welfare programs for the poor and so on and so forth. And and you react, I mean, what are you feeling and what do you f- think about your your contemporaries, and, and I include that 20s and 30s, uh, um, uh, how are they reacting and and is there social action being taken in, in, in any way? Wow, that's a very profound question. And um, I appreciate your, your asking it and contemplating it and and uh, the work that's being done in the mind rolling podcast to really address this stuff um 
I, my perception of it and perspective and feeling about it is that the stuff that's being constantly reported on, on I think kind of most sides of the spectrum is very disturbing and, and creates a lot of disillusionment. Um, I, particularly today, I, I, I was just listening to the, the brilliant uh, Democracy Now! program hosted by Amy Goodman. It's great. Mm. I, I feel it's a great source for alternative news and, and, and really the front lines of, you know, the other side of, of uh, let's say, the, the, what, what, what you'll find at CNN and um, Fox News and, and even CNBC. This is the, what's really going on um, for, for those who can. And the whole thing today was about, uh, you know, the, the further leaks that come out uh, through Edward Snowden and, and all the, and, and it turns out that our government is spying on everyone and, and the rest of the world's really upset. It's, it's not even what's going on with the American citizens, but in Germany and, you know, all over yeah. all these uh, countries that we're allies with, supposedly, uh, we're spying on them. And, and obviously, uh, Obama is involved on some level. I mean, I'm not there. I don't know what the, uh, the, how deep it goes, but, but obviously he's complicit in this. And for those of us who really, uh, believed in Obama as a leader of consciousness, um, stuff like this is, uh, and I know many, uh, people in their, their twenties and thirties really, uh, who did vote for Obama voted for consciousness and voted for a higher consciousness in politics and mm. there's just each day uh, some really compelling evidence that shows that um, everything is not as it appears. Well, and, I, I, and of I course, yeah. can I comment on that? Because I never thought that. Um, I was glad that Obama was elected. Uh, very glad. McCain, Palin, give me a break. Um, no, I was happy. I was like, I never thought any of that. Because it's quite obvious in the current mechanics of capitalism that when the president becomes the president, He's visited by all the other people who basically run the deal and told what he can and what he can't do. And even though he's the president, he would have to be an unusual person indeed to defy the CIA, the NSA, Goldman Sachs, the entire Congress, every major company and corporation in the world and say, no, I'm, not, I'm just going to defy all that and just do the right thing. Ain't going to happen. Uh, so I don't, let me finish. I, I don't think that, I think that it was naive to think that Obama or anybody else is going to, pull that off. What I do like, though, is that the basic thing that is necessary for a society, having grown up on where it happened, is health. And both, you know, uh, all kinds of health care. And the fact that he decided to take that mantle on, the only other person to do it was Hillary Clinton. She failed. The fact that he took that on and has done something, no matter how complex this thing is, makes me love him because he did do that. He may not be able to do anything about spying. I don't know. I, you know, we are creating our own lack of privacy. None of us are private anymore. Facebook, all of it, everything. We like to talk and share. So they're wanting to share our very lives with people who are trying to control the world. And it bothers me, but it doesn't bother me as much as, you know, ignoring starvation and, and health care. In this case, though, I just, I just want to bring, we'll, you're absolutely right, and, and I think uh, we all had overblown notions of what uh, Obama could do, and it's obvious that he's, he is very limited. But more to the point with, that I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out something here with, with Shiva and, and his contemporaries. 
if it, I mean, just the fact that that that's a, he has a disillusionment, and he's talking about his generation. There's, and I would say there's more disillusionment with that generation. We're a little more, you know, the elder pickled cuckers that you know here that's a little more cynical about it all although i was pretty non-cynical i was kind of what she was describing i expected way more so you know i realize that now but more to the point if it isn't that disillusionment it's the disillusionment of of everything we've been talking about of these completely polarized right-wing fundamentalists that are you know that have put that basically blackmailed, you know, the government around this healthcare issue, right? That's enough of a disillusionment, right, Shiva? I mean, that's what we're talking about. All of that, Obama, these people, you know, uh, all of the 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 naysayers around climate change, all of that puts a weight, and that's for me what I'm talking about when and for us really about comparing to the late 60s and 70s. I mean, the horror then was, of course, the uh, Vietnam War the and the complete, uh, you know, uh, just throttling of creativity uh, and having to, you know, we were all f- forced into this these roles in, in the culture that now are, you know, not existent uh, or way less existent in terms of, of that kind of... Uh, a forced issue around what who you should be. There's a lot more freedom now, but all of these things that are happening, I mean, are very comparable. I would think, and and that you personally have been going through, you know, these reacting to these events that are political, social, economic. Uh, what you know, the, the so much of of the world that we see instantly, you know, that is you know so much suffering. So. And and just you know, so that's kind of where the question comes from. I, I completely agree with 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 what you said, David, and and absolutely what you said. What you're saying, Raghu, and and it's there's that famous old uh, saying: uh, "Here today, gone tomorrow." It, it, and and what what appears to me what what it's about right now is here today, gone today. You hear something, you know, shocking this morning in your your morning news feed, however you're choosing to see your news and get it. And then by the evening or the afternoon or or certainly by the next morning at the latest, most of it, it, it it's you've moved on to the ne- next thing. And and I look back on what was going on in terms of activism in the 60s and 70s, and uh, it's incredibly inspiring to me. I don't see it in the current generation. I mean, obviously, there's exceptions, the dramatic exceptions, and there's incredible work being done in the world and the the meeting of technology and, and passionate uh, conscious activism. But in terms of the popularization of it and really having the the, the, the voice or the protests that would go on, it just appears that the modern age is an age of, uh, as he said, disillusionment and, 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 and disaffecting and, and just... It, it's very easy not to not to care because there's so much to to focus on, and one of the uh, what's going on with with us being more connected, as David said, we we've absolutely voluntarily given up our privacy. We're all seeing what's going on. We see the atrocities all over the world, and it's so overwhelming that the almost the 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 form of activism is to tune it out. 
and and it's not of course nobody's going to give up their cell phone and uh their their facebook account but uh that i think the the spin off that is uh yeah i'm just going to wait for the next you atrocity headline news that's going to come in the next minute uh via text um via via facebook via all the incredible bombardment of media so uh it does make it does set the scene it appears to me for for a uh, a movement to transpire and certainly brilliant art in in literature in music in cinema uh i think we're still waiting to see the the explosion and and i hope it it comes this decade it might not come till next decade but something is going on there's there's too many incredible factors at play and and clearly also on an on an environmental thing you know we're running out and you don't have to believe anything to know that the weather has changed you know stuff is going on that didn't used to you know go on and we're also seeing now what i do think we'll see is the legalization of of marijuana i think we will see that this decade if if not uh certainly the beginning of next decade uh, a national legalization or certainly going that way pretty much more rapidly than I'd ever anticipated. And uh, that's going to be exciting to see what happens to the, the, the landscape when everyone could legally smoke a joint who's of age. That's going to mm-hmm. be very interesting. Yeah. Um, I think, though, I mean, that sounds really right on and, and that there is something growing. I mean, you do see on Facebook a lot of people really, you know, being conscious about environmental issues, trying to rile other people up to join forces to protest it or to comment on it or to blog on it. And you see that uh, with, with things like the, you know, GMO issues and, and all of that. So there is there is stuff, social action stuff that, that is taking place. But one of the things that we're feeling, actually through this program, uh, mm. program, <laughs> big I, I used to be on radio. That's why I keep it's thinking. It's a program. It's, it's a, a program. Okay. It is. Yeah, it is. It's a podcast program. It's a program. It's a program. Uh, through this, we are getting a lot of input, and I get a lot of input through the foundation, the work I do with Ramdas, uh, where, where there's a tremendous interaction on a daily basis with a lot of people uh, of, of, of just real, substantial interest uh, from 20s and 30s generation, generation uh, in how do we just find a way to keep some balance and keep some get to a vantage point where we can navigate this world in a way that is not you just we're not lost we're not lost in our mind you know thoughts we're not lost in emotional stuff we're not jerked around where there is some idea of of wanting to to be at least together enough to to help you know our neighbor next door not to be too uh, you know simplistic um so we are feeling that and there's uh, and you um and and I must say to you not because I believe this not because you grew up in a family that was into consciousness and eastern spirituality and so on and not because of that because you know, there are pe- many, many children of people that went to India or people that are into spirituality or whatever, into the path, that absolutely are not the least interested in consciousness right now. You know, so I don't think it's it's because of that. I think you have a certain proclivity, shall we say, to uh, being interested in consciousness. You always were. And this takes us full circle into the fact that you you and I work together 
with the world music label Triloka Records, and and at the time when chant was just starting to take off, after Madonna did her you know Ray of Light in '94, I believe it was. By the way, Jai's Beggar and Saints is '97, not '80. That came out. Oh wow! Month. Yeah, you got. It. <laughs> <laughs> so all of that was happening in the mid '90s. So Shiva and I joined forces with Triloka, and um, I'm going to play you. Here's one of the things that we were involved with, Shiva and I, and uh, one thing we're really proud of, and this was like um, music way before its time. I mean, Jai was so far ahead of people at that time in terms of the kind of fusions he was doing. Um, it, just amazing. And then we'll, we'll talk more about uh, 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 your, your contemporaries and consciousness. Shivaya Parameshwaraya Shashi Shekaraya Namaom Bhavaya Gunashambhavaya Shivatandavaya Shashi Shekharaya Namaom Bhavaya Guna Shambhavaya Shiva Tandavaya
and Saints on Triloka Records and uh, boy I haven't listened to this in a long time <laughs> it's really good I mean yeah I mean it, what a melange of different traditions and I mean it's a pretty amazing thing actually I haven't heard long long time you sent me that email you know giving me some of the favorites so um so this all happened, and at this time, um, this is really when the whole Kirtan thing started to happen. Jai was probably a forerunner of it all, even before, not even, certainly before Krishnanas was doing it publicly. Um, Jai was out there big time. And, uh, uh, and this was very, so here's what strikes me. Shiva. So this is obviously now many, many, many people, as you said, it's a whole kirtan, quote unquote, movement. And and Shiva is uh, represents uh, Bhakti Fest, is, uh, is someone who works uh, very closely with the uh, uh, founder, Sridhar Silverfine. And, um, and Shiva, you know, is the master of ceremonies there. And uh, so he probably knows this, you know, more cold than anybody, that uh, there's a lot of offshoots to it now, but endemic in all of it is, th- in India, it's it's the name, the repetition of the name as a method to op- just simply uh, write out, uh, you know, uh, there's, there, there, there's just a basic heart-opening experience when you take uh, music and you and you put the name into it. Then different because all these different mantras have a certain vibrational frequency, which allows people to open up. It's as simple as that, and uh, and so that is a powerful uh, movement in America attached to yoga, to yoga centers, and to the concept of yoga really, which is to yoke together to become one with. So. Uh, Tell me about your relationship with this whole um, practice itself. Wow, what a powerful segue! And that that music, I have the same exact response as you have. Hearing it, it's uh, 
Jai Utah's album Beggars and Saints is an absolute game changer, one of the most important albums in uh, the Kirtan movement and uh, the popularization of, of, of higher consciousness, uh, the resurgence of that popularization in the West. And um, it's, it's amazing. I was just in New York over the weekend and I saw Krishnanas uh, do a public kirtan at a very large church on the Upper West Side. And it was totally packed, totally sold out. And, and as you know, I, my, first ex- my very first experience with call and response sacred mantra music, uh, also known as kirtan, of course, is Krishnanas singing in my living room before he did it publicly. It was a private practice that he shared with with uh, you know both you and uh, you know Raghunath and and our family and the friends that went to India uh, with Ramdas and spent time with Neem Karoli Baba and it was that tradition of keeping that memory alive, that experience, and bringing it to the West and and to see it go from uh, Raghu your living room <laughs> in in New York uh, in the seventies to. Uh, a thousand people, what have you, and, and thousands of co- many thousands around the world uh, right now in 2013 at the time of this recording is uh, it's mind blowing to me. And what really reached me uh, on Saturday night is seeing how 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 current it really is up to the second. It is so current. People are having awakenings that are so profound without knowing anything about anything just by showing up just by listening just by with each passing uh, chant each minute opening further and further to the presence that's what i love so much about this this movement this music this practice you really don't have to know a thing about a thing all is required is just showing up and appreciating. And of course, if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, there's a lot one can learn about and you could uh, engage your intellect at, at, at the highest level of it, or you could just not know a thing about a thing and it still has an effect and, and transformation for, for many people. Um, but, but as Ramdas would say, it's, you don't have to look at somebody else and see somebody going into a static bliss to, and say, why is that not happening to me? Uh, it's nothing to do with that. But, but really the point of it, it's, it's an authentic current movement. And I think it's directly in response to the times we live in. And it's a real path. And it's, it's only growing in popularity. And, and uh, my, uh, the organization, that the festival that I'm involved in, as Raghu said, is called Bhakti Fest. And it's the Coachella of uh, this music and, and yoga as well. The asana practice along with the music, uh, kirtan practice. And it's uh, four days in Joshua Tree, uh, beautiful vortex in California. And something happens when you get together with a group of people in, in the thousands and, and you do this practice and you experience it. Something happens. It's uh, you don't have to put a, a name to it, but it's uh, my role in it really is just to help program the music so that the the experience for for the participant is is an authentic one. And because there's there's many many offshoots of it, um, but I was just so inspired to to see Krishnas today, uh, you know, sharing this practice publicly, and it's still having this 
just profound effect that you can't even uh, verbalize uh, in a literal way what's going on. It's something very, very real is going on, and it's necessary because what? How do? You, how does one respond to just the the horrors of of the of modern living? <laughs> there's a lot of joy, and there's a tremendous amount of suffering that we're all being further connected to, or it's certainly being thrown in our face. And I think a way that it appears to me a way that people are, are responding is by tuning into these these practices. And Ram Dass's work, of course, is more relevant than than ever because, uh, and you know, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's hard I, to it's hard to talk about. I, it is actually, but one of the things, a couple of things, Jayadal and, and Krishna Das are consummately perfectionist musicians and very technically brilliant. And and that's great, and they've taken it so far. But you know, the way they sing is the way they've always sang. They have changed the arrangements, the production, and they deepened them and made them more accessible. But the the the, the, the raw thing is that is that sound. I, I in, on my own part, um, I've been listening to Kirtan since 1971, whatever. And uh, I, I'm a cranky kind of person when it comes George to George Harris. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, but the Harry Christian. Uh, but I'm talking about live, you know, um, uh-huh. at Hilda Charlton's sessions right. when uh, we all would sing. And you know, I'm just just I want to say this to our listeners. This is really what I'm trying to spurt out here. I'm very resistant to this stuff, still, not to KD or to Jai or to Wow or to Conor Reed Dassey or all the great, wonderful Kirtan singers, but. You have to drag me sometimes because I'm such a cranky person, you know. And it always works. You are? Yeah. <laughs> it always works. It, it just always does. I, I, you know, when I used to see Shamdas all the time because he's my friend, I saw him in New York all the time, I would be in a mood and he'd be driving down from Woodstock and I, I'm on the way, you know, and he'd sometimes have to persuade me. I mean, how thick am I? He'd say, come on, don't be an ass. Come to the mic here. I'll drive you there. And it always works. And you don't have to know anything. You don't have to believe in Shiva, Bra, anything. You just go, and it works. So it's very democratized, actually. It's not an elitist bunch of, of, of you know, sort of Santa Monica yogis. It's, it's, it, 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 it really works. Of course, Santa Monica. The range is astounding now. It's just incredible. Mm. So I'm just, as a testimonial, actually, you know. This is. I'm saying that I was a guy that really was hooked on the Rolling Stones, the Yardbirds, the Kinks, Buffalo Springfield, and the Velvet Underground, I say, with some sadness at this point, because Lou died a couple of days ago. This was my music, hardened mod and East Coast and West Coast American music. It was the greatest music I ever heard. I was so addicted to it and so in love with it and involved with it in some level. If I can go to a Kiritan now and then, and for all those years, anybody can. Because I wanted to hear Jeff Beck, I wanted that inspired me. That did me. Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, Stephen Stills. That's what I. John Cale. So if someone like me, a uh, pretty hardened case, could admit all those years ago that a kirtan would just transform my consciousness, my state of mind, and instead of being anxious, worried, whatever, maybe I'd go back to that very soon after. But during the experience, and for usually hours afterwards. I was in a state of consciousness which I would never have believed I could ever have got into. Mm-hmm. So that's why Kirtan, I, I'm, I'm passionate that's about it, just un- like you are. You know? th- that's an unbelievable 
a commercial. I, why can't you do that for you know selling mind rolling? Never okay, mind let's, do, let's do it. Right, <laughs> let's do it right now then, because Jesus. Shiva, I, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my commercially. I'm really. Oh, do you want to do it? Yeah, because I can't. I, it, I don't want to get bored listening to this whole thing. That just the truth. Of, I just want to say one thing. I mean, Shiva's brought up a, a, a lot of incredible artists and his passions. You've brought it up, all of it, from the Kirtan to Springsteen to the Yardbirds and the Stones are available on Amazon.com. And, it, and that's how you're going to help us. Please go to MindRollingPodcast.com and go to our banner, our Amazon banner, which will... And then buy whatever you buy. And you can buy everything from paper towels to unmentionables, which somebody in our podcast mentioned to us the other day, Duncan, which we can't even say again. It's so, like, you know, imagery is hard. Um, and just put it in, a, you know, um, bookmark it. See, when you bookmark it, so every time you go to Amazon, you're going to go through that portal, which will give us just a small percentage so we need a lot of volume and and that'll help support us and that alone is is uh is something that we'll appreciate both david and i and mine really so there's our little commercial now shiva um the other thing i'm going to jump now is that uh, shiva's been working with artists and i think i mentioned this in developing them and he has one in particular that he has stuck with I mean, there isn't a more loyal guy around. Nobody, I mean, and, and put time, his own money and plenty of time into this. And, uh, you know, and literally years. I mean, it's been three or four years. Is it not true? Uh, it has not been that long, but it's certainly been a couple of years. Longer than longer than the vast majority of my my colleagues if, if any of them would stick with yeah, it right, so right his name is clark <laughs> graham clark graham and he's coming up and i'm going to play uh at least some of this track uh right now it's a time is all we have uh, but it's called something else now what's it called it, it actually that was the Raku, of course always has a first listen to and david to, to anything i'm ever involved with so the original title was that but the the current and final title is called the way the way things were here you go There's an old man by the sea smiling He can't see nothing but her All he does is think of the way things were There's a woman standing by her window It's getting close to the end all she does is think of way back when But time is all All we've got Sometimes all we need is just one shot there's a deadbeat lying in a deep ditch 
life is falling off track All he does is wish that he could go back Saw a young girl by the fence crying She can't get used to this pain All she does is wish things stay the same But time is all All we've got Sometimes all we need is just one shot But time is all All we've got Sometimes all we need is just one shot I mean, I you know I I haven't listened to it in in quite some time. But where can people go to get this? Amazon, I hope. Not not yet, but uh, you you guys will have a, a, the first link to that. Right now, the only place you can get the music is directly from the artist uh, on his website. It's real easy: ClarkGram.com. Clark C like like uh, Clark Kent of Superman, right? <laughs> so Clark and Graham like the Graham Cracker. ClarkGram.com. You could stream the entire album for free, and you could purchase it at an extremely fair price, uh, all on the same site, direct from the artist. The, the money goes all to him. And uh, the reason why, uh, like you said, uh, it's it's been a few years, is that it takes a long time for an artist to find their true voice, their authentic voice, and then to be able to articulate it, write it, record it, and perform it. And Clark is somebody who is the most authentic singer-songwriter uh, I've ever met. And um, I believe he's going to, uh, and he is, uh, representing a lineage that 
his generation uh he's he's in his uh, mid 20s and and his generation and younger would would never experience i, I think they're going to experience through through his music and his voice and uh i'm really honored to to work with him and watch him develop as a songwriter and as a performer so thank you for giving him uh, a, a light in this in this podcast and the chance to be heard thank you well thank you for being with us shiva you yeah. know i mean this passion for music that never ends the great thing for me, and, and I know for David as well, uh, is the fact that there is a continuity that you represent from the time that we grew up in, into that passion, uh, especially uh, for the music, but not just the music, for the, the cultural changes, for being part of, uh, being, being in that moment, being part of the presence being part of the interconnectedness and that that people like you and that we we know you and you've absorbed this and that you're going to further this with whoever you meet that there's um, a lot of gratification there and we really appreciate you man <laughs> thanks so much I, I if if I may just briefly add to that uh the, the band that uh, that David mentioned that opened the hour uh, that he mentioned I'm involved honored to be in partnership with Danny Goldberg on uh, a band called Faulkner a true alternative rock band uh, we're going to be hearing a lot from them in 2014 they're releasing their debut album Street Axioms and I feel like they uh, have subversively uh, put a tremendous amount of consciousness and activism into a uh, highly intelligent into uh, really connective alternative rock and roll so i look forward to seeing what effect they have on the world and and uh david knows a little bit uh, he got a sneak preview of it we're, we're just great. about to finish they're the great. album <laughs> they're quite unique and they're great well when it's done we want to you know get a copy we want to get an mp3 and we want to uh, get it up on the broadcast and uh we uh um we we're gonna talk to you again i'm sure shiva and <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. oh please please don't let me get off without acknowledging because because i'll never hear the end of it and she deserves it uh one of your most avid listeners of this podcast and dearest friends my mother rada baum <laughs> she is uh, Hi, the most, uh <laughs> we love you rada there's no she loves she Down. loves you guys so much. She listens to, to almost all the podcasts, and she's mm. definitely the most influential and important person in my life. Mm. I wouldn't know anything about any of this stuff we talked about, and if it had not been for her and her continuing influence on my life, and and of course uh, you both guys, I just uh, I can't get off this 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 line with you without just expressing my my lifelong unending gratitude for your 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 teachings your your wisdom and your love in my life and i, I do the best yeah. i can to pay it forward so thank you for you for being you. that for me thank you amen thank you. Yeah. all right great love seeing to you great, yeah. love to everybody yeah. love to dave so much love until next time bye bye